Welcome to the ATS section on medical education podcast on academic writing, the results section. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we'll continue our podcasts on academic writing by discussing the R in the IMRAD model, the results section. Let's talk about the purpose of the section, necessary content and practical structuring, discuss a bit about tables and figures specifically, and end with some tips for success and pitfalls to avoid. So as a prelude, remember to always start by reading author instructions for the journal you plan to submit to. They may have specifics that they want you to include or not include, as well as formatting. Also, you may find it useful to consult a site that I had mentioned in previous podcasts, www.equator-network.org, that's E-Q-U-A-T-O-R-N-E-T-W-R-K, and it really describes reporting guidelines by study type. So let's start with the purpose of the results section. The introduction identified the problem and specific study questions. The methods described how you were going to answer those questions, and now the results section details the fruits of your labor, the ability to provide the reader with the main results of the study, present the main data collected, the main observations made. In other words, what did you actually find? So the first step is to really determine which specific results you want to present. You did a lot of work, which probably yielded a lot of data, but you don't have to include all results and all observations in this specific study. You really should be putting forth only those data that have a bearing on the interpretation of the study. Now, this doesn't mean that you had a negative result, you can just bury that information. No, I mean, you're going to describe positive results, negative results, unexplained results, everything that is relevant to understanding that study question and the results that emanate from that. Now, I'll often write up all my study results, collect all my data in, say, like a PowerPoint presentation, and then meet with my collaborators to kind of go over all of the possible results and observations and kind of discuss so we're all on in, on the same page in regards to what are the essential results, what are the results that are part of the overall message versus things that are more extraneous that we don't think needs to be presented during this paper. So I think it's important to kind of meet with all your co-authors, collaborators, and really discuss and hone the overall message through which results you're going to be actually included in your results section. So in terms of content, you're going to be detailing your primary results, answering the primary question, secondary results, unexpected findings or subgroup analyses, ancillary post hoc analyses. Really, the latter is just to generate new hypotheses. But this is going to make up the bulk of your results section. Now, if you're dealing with human subjects, you're really going to start initially with kind of describing recruitment. In other words, the number screened, the number excluded, the number randomized or separated into groups, as well as the number lost to follow-up, and ultimately, how many subjects did you ultimately recruit for this specific study? Then you're going to be providing descriptive statistics, in other words, demographics, major clinical and lifestyle variables. Things like age, gender, height, weight, BMI, comorbidities, smoking status, 
really anything you think is relevant to understanding this uh, population. And really, remember that understanding the, why certain patients were excluded or their demographics really helps to address the concern of validity for your readers to understand whether or not your results that you're about to present are valid for them, as well as generalizable to the patients they care for. Whereas things like the number lost to follow-up, the total number of subjects you actually studied, that really speaks to more of the reliability of the results you're about to present. And so oftentimes you'll see recruitment in a figure one, as well as demographic information in a table one. And we'll talk about figures and tables in just a minute. The only other thing I would say about content is that for every method, there should be a corresponding result. Now, in truth, I almost always write the results section first, and then I'll go back and write the methods. And so in that case, I want to make sure that for each of my results, I go back and I describe a methodology that corresponds to each of my results. So we've talked a bit about purpose as well as content, let's delve a little bit further into kind of the structure of the results section. So for human subject research, you could easily talk about recruitment of subjects, demographics, and then primary results, secondary results, unexpected findings, subgroup analyses, and that seems a reasonable structure. Other possibilities include starting with the most important findings first, and then progressively to down to your least important findings. Otherwise, you could talk about things chronologically of what was done. Now, this has a lot of applicability when you're doing, say, preclinical studies and you're dealing with different assays or, or different cell lines. You might be knocking out certain pathways and then subsequently knocking out new or different pathways. So you might describe that chronologically because it will make a lot of sense. You could also, this would have uh, applicability also when you're doing qualitative research. Maybe you did a focus group that led to identification of a particular problem, and then because of that, then you brought that problem to, say, administrative or leadership, and then interviewed them. And so that would nicely flow as if you talked about it from what you did and then how that then resulted in you doing something different or a new analysis. So once you've decided what to present and in what sequence to present it, the next part is really how do you actually present it? What are the best ways to present the information to the readers? So when it comes to statistics, you could utilize things like p-values just to show significance. You could use confidence intervals to be able to show things like directionality, effect size, and precision. Odds ratios, relative risk. You could use mean and standard deviation or median and uh, interquartile range, depending on really kind of your sample size as well as the central tendency distribution of your data as well. And in terms of the data itself, you have to decide how much of it are you going to leave in a text format versus use in something like a figure or a table. So imagine taking your table one, your standard table one demographics, and instead of a table, utilizing only textual information. Pretend there are three different groups, and now you're going to have to describe things like their age, their weight BMI, their comorbid conditions, smoking history, their Apache and SOFA scores, and their their blood pressure readings and so forth. It's going to be quite a lot of information if it was all in text format. Clearly, it's much easier to detail all that information nicely and efficiently in a table instead. And then you can use the text not to regurgitate all that information, 
but rather to highlight the information from the table that you think is particularly relevant. Thus, a good use of a table is where you have multiple variables. It will be too confusing in a text format. And so tables are considered space efficient because they really condense all that information down to something that is more visually pleasing and still conveys all that level of information in terms of granularity. Compare that with a figure, which is considered more space intensive, right? You have a picture that takes up a fair amount of space and figures are really more to kind of understand relationships between the data. So things that are happening maybe longitudinally over time, like a Kaplan-Meier curve. Figures are also very useful to highlight a major result, something you really want to focus the reader to. Sometimes numbers and a p-value don't do justice to the importance or gravitas of a finding. Instead, sometimes a picture is truly worth a thousand words. But the flip side is that not everything requires a figure. I've seen some papers where there's eight figures of eight different cytokines that could probably have just been collapsed into one ta- one figure, or they could have taken out one graph, one figure, and made that representative of, of all the others. Too many figures can dilute the importance of one or two well-placed figures. And when it comes to figures, a lot of possibilities. You could be using bar graphs, pie charts, line plots, scatter plots, box plots. So whatever graphical program you're utilizing, I usually play around with different types of plots and figures to see what works best for my specific data. When it comes to tables, you want to make sure that it has a heading. There should be row and column headings, a footnote section, where you're going to define abbreviations, specify units of measurement, provide statistical outcomes. You want to make sure that the table is actually referenced in the text itself. You also want to make sure that that it's accurate, that all the numbers actually add up, such as if they're supposed to add up to 100%, make sure that that occurs. And the other thing is that you want to make sure that the table can stand on its own, right? So they should have clarity because a lot of people will read, say, your title, maybe some parts of the abstract, and go to your tables and figures. And so it's important that they have the ability to stand on their own and provide the information you intend. Similarly, with figures, again, they should be referenced within the text. You want to make sure that you have a legend, you have data labels, axes titles, and that they should be easily able to be understood if you were just looking at it without having to go back into the text to understand what these ta- what these uh, labels refer to. Make sure that the graph is plotted to an appropriate scale. Sometimes you have things where you're only utilizing one section or one area of the of the graph, and that's uh, that's unfortunate. You also want to make sure that you look. At online to the journal you're submitting to in terms of the quality of the e-format of those those figures. Uh, so you want to get away from things like using pictures for uh, figures. You know, you really want to use more like PDF, something that you can easily increase or decrease the size of without sacrificing quality. One other comment I want to make is about images, whether it be pathologic slides, radiographs, ultrasound images. Just make sure they're cropped appropriately. And I don't mean just for removing patient identifiers, but also just so that the image is is centered, you don't have a lot of wasted space. Utilize arrows or markers to highlight the significant findings. 
Not everyone recognizes apical wall, akinesis, or uh, PCP on this given slide, etc. So we talked about purpose, content, and structure, as well as a little bit on figures and tables. So let's now turn to some tips uh, for success and some pitfalls to avoid. So the first tip is to be consistent with your data and how you describe it. So that means calling things the same over and over again, using the same acronyms, the same units, uh, the same content structure. So if you always talk about group A, then group B, or the control group, and then the experimental group, keep that format going throughout the your, your results section. Second tip is that remember that you're telling a story. So it should flow logically is the idea, whether it be chronologically of what you did or from your primary endpoints down through your secondary and so forth. Make sure it's logical and it flows nicely. Also, it's generally advised that you use the past tense when dealing with the results section, as these are things that you did in the past, such as you recruited patients, you randomized them to two different groups, you gave them different medications at different dosages. So the third tip is that what happens in the results section stays in the results section. So there shouldn't be conclusions that emanate from your results in that section. Save that for the discussion section. There shouldn't be talk of methodology. That should go in the method section. Also, don't editorialize, right? So there shouldn't be things like, amazingly, we found the following results. No, 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 no. Okay, keep, yes, I'm glad it's it's amazing, but, you know, keep that to yourself and you can discuss that and how amazing they were in the discussion section. Some other odds and ends types of tips Watch out for too many figures or tables. Don't duplicate tables and figures. You don't have to talk about everything in the tables and figures in your text. Decimals. So you want to round to the digit after the decimal that reflects the sensitivity of your measurement instrument, right? So you're, if you were measuring FEV1 and it was 3.41, two decimals to the, uh, two positions to the right of the decimal, then that should probably be what your results are as well. And lastly, remember to show your results as well as your whole paper to individuals who are outside of the, the study process. You really want them to review it for kind of clarity and for ease of understanding. So with that, I'll end this podcast. We discussed the purpose of the results section, the content, the structure, some different tips for success, as well as some discussion of figures and tables. Hope you found it useful. And stay tuned for the next podcast, which will be on the discussion section.